Well, welcome to another episode of Marketing Management Money here with Ethan and Ryan. Um, We're going to be covering an article today. So uh, about a week ago uh, through LinkedIn, I I was sent something. I I, uh, subscribed to the Harvard Business Review uh, group on LinkedIn, and they'll send me articles from time to time. And and I, you know, I like to I like to check out the articles, and I got this one sent to me that it was uh, how to spot an incompetent leader by Thomas Charmoro Premusic. I apologize, Thomas, that I did not say your last name correctly, but uh, he put it out there. This this is uh, dated March 11th of 2020. Um, there was an updated version that just came out uh, a couple weeks ago, actually, that, that was the one that was uh, on LinkedIn, if any of you guys saw that. But it really got me thinking about this idea of, uh, you know, how to stop promoting incompetent uh, leaders. Now, in the article, just to, to give a, a quick summary, the, the article really hits on kind of some gender inequalities, the idea that uh, males get promoted based on very aggressive uh, leadership styles. They also get promoted on some cultural things. And a lot of times, you know, this, this is kind of a mistake that, that we should be looking at, uh, you know, the, the actual qualities of a leader in, in doing promotions. Um, and I think, I think it made some good points. There's some, some things that I felt were weaknesses in the article. And I'm, I'm going to talk about that as, as we get going, but overall I felt like the, the points made were, were really valid points. And so what I want to do in this episode is I want to bring it back in to what, uh, what we as entrepreneurs should be doing in our own businesses. So, you know, I mean, when you look at Harvard Business Review, a lot of times they're talking about uh, a lot of management positions, people that are working for multinationals, Fortune 500 type companies, and they're dealing with these management issues. And so it's a little bit of an apples to orange, uh, oranges situation. However, in entrepreneurship, you know, we oftentimes need to bring people onto our team. And so I want to focus more on who to bring onto the team, not as much promotion, because where I see the most mistakes in entrepreneurship is bringing the wrong person onto the team. Usually in a small business, you know, if you've got, say, a half a dozen people working for you, uh, promotions kind of happen a little bit more organically. It's not like you're going to get promoted over the other four people. I mean, sometimes that happens. And, and when you start to get into bigger businesses, you know, 20, 30 employees, there is some some upward, mo- you know, upward momentum, upward movement. But it doesn't happen as much. Uh, you know, people aren't climbing the corporate ladder in entrepreneurship. It's why it's called climbing the corporate ladder. Is That's really done in, in larger corporations where there is a lot of steps on the rungs. But, uh, you know, I, I see the mistake of bringing the wrong person on board based on certain characteristics and uh, you know certain personality traits. So we're going to talk about that a little bit. Uh, I, I, I gave a, a big overview, and obviously I have some things that I want to I want to you know cover. But uh, Ethan, let's 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 get your big overview here with with some of your experience and things that that you've seen, and then then we'll jump into some of the specifics that were mentioned in the article. Well, I found it interesting, and I think that you'll talk uh, a little bit more about it as well, that um, <clears throat> he was trying to take a scientific approach in part of this to hiring leaders, 
which is pretty fascinating in and of itself. I mean, and he used some some logic behind the science. You know, we, we see it all the time in different uh, personality tests and things like that as we start looking at temperament and demeanor and things like that. Um, and I think you're going to talk more about that because you, you did a little bit of that assessment, which is pretty fascinating. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, I'm going to pull that in a different direction, but I will talk about that. But I, I like the fact that uh, he he did show it as a problem because I think everyone recognizes a problem. And I mean, and he commonly just said right off the front that, you know, a lot of it is the fact that when we look for leaders, we look for strong personalities. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, strong personalities have baggage that go with them. And so depending on what you want the leadership style to look at, that, that it can be good or bad. It wasn't necessarily all bad. I'm not trying to portray that at all. Um, because a lot of times strong personalities are needed to move forward some initiatives to make change that would not be done otherwise. Mm-hmm. So in some cases it, it can be a powerful thing, but at the same time, um, nowadays as fast as things have changed, we, we look at our work relationships a lot differently than we do now. And we look at them, um, from a point of view that, that I, I want someone, you know, the common, most common mistake that I, <laughs> point out to most people when we talk about leadership and do leadership trainings is that um, uh, employees look at their leaders to make sure that their leaders are working as hard, if not harder than they are. Mm-hmm. doesn't have to be the same amount of work or the same type of work. Does that make sense? Yeah. But it do, you do have to see that your uh, supervisor, boss, leader is working as hard, if not harder than you, because that's the one that kills most everything when it comes to morale. That when you're working harder and your boss is sitting there with his feet up on his desk and it doesn't look like he's doing anything. So, oh, okay. I, this is a fun place to launch off of. Okay. Because uh, I just actually had this conversation with my wife. Uh, so we had the opportunity. We went on vacation. We were gone for a week. Uh, took the kids to Florida. Had a great time. And when I came back uh, from my vacation, so I'd been out of the office for a week. And with uh, the, the team that I oversee, I, you know, I just kind of jokingly said, I'm like, I was gone for a week and no one even noticed. Like, do I even do anything? <laughs> <laughs> and um, the, uh, you know, everyone's like, no, 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 you're great. We love you, man. You know, and I'm like, yeah, look, it was supposed to be a joke. You don't need to kind of build me back up. I'm okay. But uh, really, there is a sign of, of great leadership that you're supposed to be able to walk away. If everything is falling yeah. apart, you know, when you talk about the uh, um, Jim Collins, good to great, uh, he mm-hmm. talks about level five and level four leadership. And, you know, level four leadership is that idea that as soon as I'm gone, everything falls apart. But level five leadership is almost that you're not really, you know, needed. Well, you create systems. You right? create systems. Yeah. yeah. And, and so I'm having this conversation with my wife and we're talking about it. And I said, you know, I actually in high school, the class that I probably learned the most out of was band. Mm-hmm. She's like, band <laughs> like, what in the world did you learn about band and you know what i'm talking about for my professional career like you know my band class thank you mr anderson he was actually pretty awesome uh but my band class taught me a, a ton and one of the things that it taught me was the conductor of the band doesn't play an instrument and it's a very interesting concept you know and also the conductor of the band regardless of how skilled of a musician uh, he or she is 
does not have the same proficiency of playing the instruments as every you know member of the the band or the orchestra. Now they might be proficient with their particular instrument, and they're going to have a working knowledge of multiple instruments. But there's no way that they're going to have a full expertise of every single instrument in that band. Right. And so the person who's leading the band actually one is not making any noise, and two is not as good of a musician as the majority of the people out there. And the reason why it works is because they're keeping everyone together and they're keeping everyone in tune and they're listening for the the harmonies of the band and trying to make sure that, you know, everyone's following the plan, you know, the strategy that was put forth in the sheet music, right? And and, and so, you know, I'm telling this to my wife and she's like, huh, Kind of a different approach, but makes a lot of sense. I'm like, honestly, that's my management style is I try and manage my teams the same way that my band conductor would conduct. Yeah, that's band, a great life lesson. You know, and, and, and so when, when, when you talk about uh, that, they want to see, you know, employees want to see that the leader is working as hard, if not harder. I think one leadership flaw is to feel like busyness is the same as working. Correct. And, and so, you know, I mean, how do you, how do you get past how do you How do you make your team feel like you're working when you're the conductor? Like you're just up there waving a little, you know, a little tiny baton and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and they're the ones that are like making everything happen. Uh, you know, how, how, do you, how do you make them feel like this leadership role is actually pivotal to, you know, like giving the downbeat and keeping everyone, you know, on tempo together? Yeah, that's a great, great life lesson. And, and But the amazing thing when you think about that lesson you learned is that conductor, he, he knows the music better than anybody. I mean, he, he knows before the next instrument's coming on that they're coming on, and he's already looking in that direction giving cues. Uh, uh, it's amazing to, to watch a really good conductor. They, they're just uh, fascinating. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's the point right there is he or she knows the, the music better than anyone else. They know the whole score yes. better than anyone else. And that's the thing is, you know, so I played a trombone and, you know, I would learn my part. Um, but, you know, when it was time to rest, I was resting. I wasn't playing. That, that's the other interesting thing is, you right. know, people think that you always have to be playing to, you know, be contributing. And I'm like, no, no, no. When, when, when your music calls for a rest, you rest. When your music calls you to come in, you come in. Sometimes you come in strong. Sometimes you come in soft, you know. Sometimes right. you're the melody. Sometimes you're just, you know, a little backup part that really should not outpower what you know what right. is happening in the rest of you know r- rest of the song and so um so 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 let's let's jump back into this uh this article if that's okay and i want to hit on this this idea that it talks about the dangers of hiring someone with charisma and hiring someone who is arrogant uh and that one of the one of the criticisms that I have with this article is it makes it seem as though these are always negative. There was one part of the article that actually stated, um, and maybe man, if I was cool, I'd I'd pull up the exact quote from the article. But uh, it uh, let's let me see if I can if I can grab it that, here real quick. People with arrogance and overconfidence are narcissistic. <laughs> Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's that exactly. 
<laughs> no, it, it's right here. It says confidence, how good you think you are, is primarily beneficial when it is in sync with your competence, how good you actually are. And to me, that was a huge takeaway from the article and in, in this idea that I don't think that confidence is bad. And I didn't appreciate in the article that it came across as though confidence is bad. Overconfidence, meaning you don't have the skill set to support your confidence, Correct. is bad. But, you know, confidence in and of itself. And so the article kind of stated that uh, that you should hire people that, you know, lack confidence and have, you know, humility. And I'm like, hmm. I agree with the humility piece and complete confidence, but... But you need to know that your leader has enough confidence that he knows what he's doing to move the ship in the right direction, you know, yeah. versus oh, I don't even know what switch to turn. You know what I mean? If, uh, how do I even start the boat? Yeah. Stuff like that. You're just like, OK, that that makes me really nervous. Yeah. You know, if he's going to be at the helm, he needs to understand that, which means he needs to be confident in what he's doing. But so, uh, yeah, that's a I don't know. That's a tough one for me because I uh, but I do like the humility piece. And that means that. Uh, I'm I'm not afraid to rely on others and use others with their skill sets to move us along. I don't have to be everything to everyone. So I'm gonna ask this question, but I wanna I wanna cover some some points first before we get into answering the question. But I wanna ask the question is how do you find someone who has a good balance of confidence and humility? Because that's difficult to find. Now, two things that I want to bring up before, you know, before we get into answering that question. In this article, it uh, gave an opportunity for me to take an assessment to see how good yeah. of a leader I was. And I'm going to share, yeah. you know, here we go with all of our listeners. You get to find out how good of a leader I am. So uh, it linked me to, let's, let's see if I can find this. It's called deepersignals.com. And um, in Deeper Signals, it, it has a nine-question assessment that you take. And so I took the assessment, and I did it honestly the first time. And I uh, was given a score of I am a 56% probability of being an incompetent leader. So I'm almost half and half. Like I could go either way. I could be competent or incompetent, according to this, slightly in favor of incompetency. And so, you know, I mean, that nice, warm and fuzzy. But, uh, <laughs> but well, the article did say that people are poor judgments of themselves. So, you know. <laughs> true. So then I went back and took the same assessment and I tried to go with what I thought it was asking. And I was right. And wow. This is very ironic because here I am, you know, trying to prove that I'm not arrogant by showing my arrogant ego that I was right. <laughs> Anyway, so I gamed the uh, I gamed the thing and uh, answered the nine questions the way I think they wanted it answered. Got a perfect score, and in that perfect score, it came back and said that I have a zero percent chance of being incompetent, which I find very humorous. That you know they're all about the scientific nature of you know picking good leaders, and I'm like, uh, I don't think in science a zero probability exists. Like there's always a ch and and to just say that if you possess these nine characteristics, you will be a, a competent leader. I'm like, right. mm, no, it doesn't work that way. So I, I found that the uh, the methodology itself uh, was probably lacking. I think the concept that they were going for, I think, has a lot of validity. 
but but the methodology uh, did bother me. The second point that I wanted to uh, to hit on is uh, there was a study that uh, I believe it was Stephen Covey uh, or his organization uh, that they're the one. Well, no, they didn't do the study. Excuse me. It was the U.S. military that did the study. But they cited the study, uh, and I believe it was in their Four Disciplines of Execution, that uh, pretty popular book that uh, mm-hmm. uh, Stephen Covey put out a right. number of years ago. Yeah. And in it, um, the U.S. military did a study where they were trying to figure out who were better uh, generals, uh, males or females. And in the study, they they set up some sim- simulated war games, and they put all male leaders against an all female leader team. And so it was the males against the females. And um, the results of the study were that the males actually won the war games, consistently won every time they did the simulated war games, the, the males won. However, the females consistently made better decisions. And so they looked at the decisions that the females made, and they were consistently better, but yet the males were winning the war games. And so they dug a little deeper, and they found that what it was is the males were able to act faster. And so the females, or the women in the study, they wanted a higher level of certainty that their decisions were accurate, and so they were acting slower and the males, they were just jumping in and like, let's just make this happen. And so in a war game situation, the male characteristic was proven to be more effective because you have to make very quick decisions, or at least in these simulated war games. You know, but in a more thoughtful, you know, if you have the time to review it, the the female perspective was actually, you know, actually better. And so again, Going with this, th- this article uh, suggests that uh, you know there, there's an over, uh, you know, an overemphasis on male leadership, which I, I agree with. I actually think there is an overemphasis on male leadership, but I think that there are characteristics of male leadership that uh, are more valuable in certain situations, and characteristics of female leadership that are more valuable in certain situations, which kind of goes back to you know that 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 question of of saying okay. Is it is it just you know what's that balance between humility and, and confidence and so 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 that that's kind of where I'm at with with my thought process on this. So, I mean that's you know you get stuck on that confidence and humility. Uh, what is your what is your definition of that? Uh, because you obviously have a definition as you've read this, how you've defined what it would be or wouldn't wouldn't be. Yeah. Because um, humility is a tough one. Because yeah. it could be defined a couple different ways. Um, ultimately, you know, a lot of people will look at it and say, well, it just means that you don't feel that you're better than anybody else, which means then you respect all opinions looking for the best answer. Could be, you know, but I've seen people that I feel like their humility, it's, it's almost like sackcloth and ash where, you know, <laughs> it's like, oh, it's okay, you know, I'll just be the martyr and let's do your decision. You know, I mean, it's... Yeah, but that's not humility. But sometimes it gets interpreted as that. It's like, you know, people people misunderstand humility as weakness. And I'm like, humility is strength. You know, true humility is strength. Yeah, I would agree. You know, and be, being able to accept someone else's idea or plan, being being able to go after the best solution as opposed to your solution, you know, I think is an aspect of humility yeah, in leadership. I would agree. 
Oh. And I, but I haven't found my experience. I don't know that I find humility more dominant in a male or a female, though. And I mean, interesting question. I get that we're anecdotal here for a second because it's not like, you know, we've really delved into that aspect of it. Um, I feel like it's a conversation for another day. Yeah. I feel like males tend to be more arrogant. You know, the, the, the stereotypical males won't ask for directions, but, but females will. And, you know, I mean, I get that there's a little bit of humor behind that. But it's this idea that the, you know, the man doesn't want to admit when they're wrong. I, I feel like women in general are more apt to admit when they're wrong. Doesn't always, you know, yeah. it's not always the case. Actually, with that in light, females probably are, tend to be more humble. Because they, they're willing to put their pride aside a lot faster than a male. Uh, yeah, I would, I would think. Generally speaking, yeah, anecdotally I speaking. I would have to agree. You know, so... So I don't know, uh, but then it begs the question, okay, so as an entrepreneur, you're looking to bring someone onto your team. Uh, I mean, what what do you think? You think, you know, would would you would you do a Myers-Briggs personality or, uh, I always, you know? I always do. Okay. Matter of fact, I did interviews just uh, yesterday, and three of the 12 questions were tied to Myers-Briggs, <laughs> understanding personality. Uh-huh. And not... And not because it determined whether or not um, they would get the job or not, um, because two of the top candidates both had the same personality type, um, but more so to understand how they view the world. Yeah. So, so as we get into things, I understand exactly where they're going to fit, how, whether they're a cultural fit based off of everyone else we have in there, or whether or not, um, you know, they're going to come in and rock the boat, which is okay if I know they're going to rock the boat and they're going to question things because there's, I'm not opposed to that. I always want someone to question a decision to make sure that we're getting the best decision. But at the same time, understanding a little bit about their, their temperament is, is important to make sure that they are yeah, the right slot. So, for instance, you know, we always say uh, if we're looking for a sales position, okay, a salesperson has a very, uh, the best salespeople have a very unique temperament. Um, and if I hire someone who's a mad scientist and just want to work <laughs> in a cave and do yeah, research, yeah. they're not going to make a good salesperson. Mm-hmm. And so even though they can say they can do sales, but if I can see, oh, wait a minute, no, 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 you're showing characteristics of that, that's a little bit of a red flag to say, I need to explore this more with them to see if they really are able to do sales the way that we need them to do it for organization. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, okay. And this is one thing uh, I agree with you that, uh, you know, Myers-Briggs and other methodologies and, you know, I mean, Myers-Briggs is popular. It's uh, probably the most popular, but not, not the only, that's you know, only methodology. I've seen other methodologies that work. I've seen a lot that are garbage, you know, people like try and relate. Like, are you a squirrel or an owl or a dove? Yeah, you know, they, and I'm like, they just try to get creative in it, and I'm just like, no, just <laughs> it's been time <laughs> proven that Myers and Briggs is very solid. Don't try to create something unique to identify with someone else because we all identify with the different INTJs or etc. etc. Yeah, et cetera, et cetera, yeah. You know? yeah. So I, I would say definitely don't get your personality uh, quiz off of Facebook. Like, just go to a real source. Yeah. Not that I'm dogging on Facebook, but maybe I am. I don't know. Uh, you get all kinds of weird stuff on there. Yeah. And so, but 
Now, I, I want to talk a little bit about the scientific approach and the fallacies there because I, 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 I will hold fast to the fact that science alone is weak. Science alone is just as bad as guessing and witchcraft alone. You know, like you, you have to have a balance of logic and emotion. And, and so let me give a couple, couple examples yeah. here. In this article, it kept talking about, you know, scientifically proven or science would say. And I'm like, okay, science is a point of view. It's a very good point of view. And I think data-driven decisions are, you know, usually ignored and so, you know, we need to we need to swing the pendulum more to a scientific approach, but that doesn't mean that we need to go only scientific. And one of the classic examples that I love, so I grew up in Utah, and uh, the Utah Jazz, the NBA basketball team, uh, in the late 90s, they, uh, you know, Carl Malone, John Stockton, Jeff Hornacek, you know, the, a lot of people are just like, oh, that's when the Jazz had their heyday. And, you know, and I would kind of agree. I'm not a basketball fan, by the way, um, but uh, they, they were really cool back then. So anyway, they make it to the playoffs. They make it to the uh, semis uh, or no, the finals. And, uh, you know, it's East Coast, West Coast. Uh, they do that a couple times and they uh, they never quite secure that championship, you know. So they end up in second place, which is extraordinarily impressive. Well, so John Stockton, he ends up retiring. He's like, look, you know what? I'm good. I'm done. Uh, Carl Malone, he ends up going over to the Lakers and uh, the L.A. Lakers, right? Mm -hmm. So a lot of people start thinking, uh, you know, he's a trader. What's he doing? And a lot of people are, no, you got to respect him because he, you know, he wants to get that championship. And uh, and so, um, you know, so he went over there and. The, the, the Lakers uh, that year, they put together this all-star team. They took the best of the best and really had, you know, scientifically had the best team in the entire NBA by far. You know, on paper, they outranked everyone by far. And they had a horrible season. It was garbage. You yeah. know, absolute garbage. I remember that. Uh, I, I don't even know if they made it to the playoffs. <laughs> nope, they didn't. Yeah, it, it, it was horrible. And and I look at that and I'm like, man, if you want to understand management, that case study is an exact, you know, it's an excellent example of what not to do in management. Scientifically, they went with the best of the best, but they took no thought to organize the players and say, you know, who is, you know, who's going to be good for this and who's not going to be good for this. So using my band example, you know, they got the best of the best, but they were all trumpet players. And right. all they had were trumpet players, you know? <laughs> so it's like, well, wait a second. What, 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 what happened to any of the other instruments? You know, and so they, had, they had like seven trumpet players and, you know, one little flautist over there, and, and it sounded terrible. And, you know, and so when you're talking about the Myers-Briggs, uh, you made an interesting comment. You said, they're to, you know, you're trying to see how they would interact in different, you know, situations. And so sometimes you can have a, a solid, you know, leader or a solid player, but they're not what you need, you know. So the balance right. to me, and that's that's where I say, you know, you got to have the logical decisions and you also have to have the emotional decisions. Like, does your gut tell you that this is going to, you know, create a good balance in your company? Are they going to mesh in the culture you want to create? But see, that brings up a fascinating point, though, is that so during that hiring process, we're not asking uh, the right questions. You know, we ask, well, tell me about your leadership style. Mm 
Mm-hmm. Well, they, of course, they tell me the right answer. Okay. <laughs> right. So versus, you know, the right question would be, hey, give me an example as a leader when, when you, you blew it as a leader. And then share an example with me when you thought you were successful as a leader. Now they have to share experiences. And what you'll find, what's amazing, is a lot of times they'll share this horrible experience of how they took over and just, you know, crushed it and everyone got thrown below them and how that made them a great leader. And you're going, that's a horrible example. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Because because for them, that, that tells you now about their leadership style because you have to, you coined it in a different way and they're sharing experiences and um, et cetera, versus tell me about your leadership style. You know, everyone, of course, oh, yeah, I'm a servant leader. Well, okay, great, fantastic. I'm so <laughs> glad to hear that, you know, hire him right now. But that doesn't really tell me about your leadership style. Yeah. So so it becomes really, really important, and that's where I think the article was a little bit soft is that it was like scientific, scientific versus, no, 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 no. Let's look specifically at the questions that we're using and what we're trying to get out of it as – part of uh, the scientific process and as part of trying to understand the human side of it. Because you can't take a human out of a human. Right, right. Uh, we forget that too much, that great interviews, it, we're just going to, you know, put in a few variables in the robot, it's going to spit it out, and we, we either get it or we don't. And no, no, humans are highly unpredictable, which is what makes leaders even more fascinating because, uh, you know, you can take someone who's amazing uh, as an employee, put them in a leadership position and then they fail miserably mm-hmm. and, and vice versa. We promote people into positions and all of a sudden they get to a point where now I've achieved, now I'm the God of the organization and they, they just become a horrible person. Well, and I also like to look at how much endurance do they have because some people, they can make great decisions, but they burn out pretty quickly. Yes. And so if a task becomes long or tedious, they don't have the attention span for it. So they can handle even tough decisions in a short burst. But, you know, you start putting them into an elongated situation where they have to stick with something after it's no longer fun. You know, I've seen a lot of yes. leaders that when, mm-hmm. when something's fun, they're like, oh, let's make it happen. And then all of a sudden yeah. when it's not fun, they're still, you know. But see, that's, that's super fascinating because we both know that one of the classic traits of an entrepreneur is that, that uh, they love getting it up and going, but they're poor managers. Yeah. Okay, true entrepreneurs generally are poor managers. So they love the excitement. They're great at the vision. They're great at connecting a few pieces to get things rolling. But as soon as it becomes mundane, they lose interest mm-hmm. and they actually become poor managers because it's boring to them. Yeah. Or so, something else is more exciting. Yeah. So they bounce to the next exciting yeah. thing. Okay. So we see that all the time in true entrepreneurs that they, that's why sometimes they look like they have a high failure rate is because as soon as it becomes mundane, they're bad. Yeah. Well, and the interesting thing, so you were talking about hiring, and I want to make a clarification here, or at least I want to make a distinction, that a lot of times uh, an entrepreneur is not going to do a formal hiring process for some of their key positions. Yeah, that's correct. If, if, you're, you know, if you're looking for a partner, you're usually just sitting down and chatting with them over lunch. And what it, what it looks like is you're all excited about your ideas. You're like, let me tell you everything amazing about mm-hmm. this. Want to be on board? Like you didn't take 10 seconds to ask them, do you actually have any experience in this? 
You know, like yeah. what's your interest level in this? And, 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 and I see that happen a lot. And so I just want to make the distinction that say you might have a formal hiring process set up, but you also might have an informal. And when you were talking about asking those questions and saying, you know what, you better come prepared with questions. Like if you're an entrepreneur trying to get a partner, you know, and, and this isn't just, you know, we think of this in startup where it's like, oh, you know, I'm in the startup phase. I'm going to get partners. I'm like, no, no, no. Mm. If you're hiring someone in a key management position, then you are bringing on a partner, whether it's formal on paper or not, like they are really dictating the direction of your company. And so, you know, it's a form of a partnership. And a lot of these happen just over lunch or over a few conversations. You need to take those conversations and put some formality behind it and say, look, I'm going to ask you a few questions right now. You know, let's do a follow-up lunch you know, this lunch was me telling you about the idea of the company. The next lunch is, you know, I want you to tell me about you and I'm going to ask some questions. And right. just side note, I love to ask, what book are you reading? Man, I learned so much about people by just t- tell yeah. me what you're currently reading right now. And I've had some interesting things. Mm-hmm. People are just like, well, I'm actually doing this, you know, romance novel. <laughs> I've had those kinds of things before where, where they're a little bit embarrassed. But what it tells me is I'm like, Look, this person's honest because instead of trying to convince me, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm reading Seven Habits of Highly Effective Managers right now. They're like, um, yeah, I'm just reading the comics because they make me laugh. You know, <laughs> <laughs> anyway. <laughs> well, you know, overall, I think the article was, was good. It was well written. It was a great uh, article, yeah. It uh, brought together some really good perspectives of things that I think we – we forget to look at when we're trying to hire leaders, um, but at the same time, it opened up your eyes to say, "Hey, you know what? Uh, don't don't just hire the, you know, that person who comes in and is very charismatic and is able to, you know, woo you real fast because they may not be the right fit. Mm-hmm. You know that there's other tools out there to help assess individuals uh, at a deeper level to understand if they are a good cultural fit as well. So mm-hmm. overall, the f- I would encourage anyone to read it. Fantastic article. There were a few tools like you took that assessment that are just fun. Uh, open your eyes a little bit. Yeah, you know, and I'm still trying to get my ego to calm down that I'm like, what, 56% ineffective? I'll show you. Oh, incompetent, not ineffective. <laughs> Goodness. I have 44%. 44% of maybe being successful. Yeah, what, what, what's that dumb and dumber line? What's the chance of you and me going out? About one in a million. So you're saying I got, I got a, a chance. chance. <laughs> Uh, all right well thanks for tuning in everybody uh we hope you enjoyed it if ever you guys have some articles that uh you would like us to do a review on just uh, send them our way ryan at marketingmanagementmoney.com would be the email address and you can check us out marketingmanagementmoney.com anytime you want thanks everyone Take control of your business today. Go to learndesk.us and search marketing management and money for the small business insights you've always wanted. Be sure to stay tuned for new episodes on the first and third Wednesdays of every month and make sure to subscribe to be notified when we release bonus content such as interviews and short discussions.